Welcome back to another episode of the Major Journey Podcast. This week's special guest is an early pioneer in the industry since 2008. He began his career in Colorado upon the legalization of cannabis and was eager to get back to his home state. Now he's educated on the hemp industry and he saw CBD as the future. In 2013, he recruited his lifelong friend, a licensed compounding pharmacist, to start Green Roads, which became the leading privately owned CBD company in the U.S. with multiple awards to its name. Recognizing a need for public education, he launched Cannabis Life Radio in 2016. In 2019, he became a founding member of the Florida Hemp Council. Without further ado, Arby Baruso, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, what's going on, man? Uh, thanks for having me. Hey, brother. Thank you for, for joining us on the show today. Man, you're a busy get, guy. Your introduction was perfect. I'm going to close out and finish out my Friday. <laughs> no, no, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Man. <laughs> you're, you're a busy guy and you have a lot going on. And I just want to say hats off to you for being able to build what you have built um, and for those of for those listeners who aren't too familiar with you and your story, can you elaborate and kind of take us back to the to the starting line and and how you got to where you're at today with Green Roads? I mean, absolutely, Mike. Uh, it's uh, it's a pretty big rabbit hole as we were talking probably prior to to this cast. It's uh, it's it's been. I mean, I'm 50 years old. Uh, I've always enjoyed the plant uh, since I was at an early age. Um, really don't medicate today, but, you know, I do use, you know, different types of cannabinoids, low concentrates, THC, um, because I think it does a lot for, for myself, but, you know, I, I ended up in 93, uh, fracturing and dislocating my hip. Uh, I've always been extremely, uh, competitive in life. Uh, I was trying to get actually back to college to division two at 22 and, uh, practicing and playing with some of my friends ended up basically blowing out and dislocating my hip. Uh, ended up in the hospital for about 28 days, but the first three days um, I was in a, a hospital um, and they had me in traction. They didn't pop my head back into place, which is one of the first things you got to do in those orthopedic emergencies is put your bone back in this place, then put it in traction where I was in traction for three days with 32 pounds and my hip was actually out of place. So at that moment, the doctor realized he had messed up. They sent me to Jackson Memorial, Dr. Zyke, uh, orthopedic emergency. Uh, got me in there. I think Zyke retired a couple years ago, but uh, I think he, the leading surgeon there is Dr. Hudson, which was a resident at the time that I ended up in the hospital, you know, 27 years ago. Um, and he popped my hip back into place or actually asked me, why is my hip out of place? I said, I'm not the doctor. You know, how can you be asking me those questions? I was freaking <laughs> out, you know, lost 15 pounds over three days. Uh, nothing would put me to sleep, neither Demerol, morphine, none of that. Um, well, he brought two other very uh, big people into my into my room and sat somebody on my chest, sat somebody on the other side of my hip on my left side and actually got on the bed. And uh, I basically begged him. I said, why don't you just put me to sleep? He says, I need you tense. And I'm like, well, that's nice. So give me a towel. So I wrapped up a towel, bit down on a towel. He had, I think, five or six C's, six C's of morphine uh, sitting next to it. He says, that's for you once I get it back, in, back into place. And uh, he did that. It took no more than five seconds, if that. It's, you know, the first one popped really loud. I kind of stiffened up. The next one popped. He hit me with morphine. Um, I woke up thinking that I could walk. You know, that's kind of the relief that it gave me. Uh, the pressure for three and a half days was, was excruciating. Um, but that led me to 20-something days at the hospital. They never gave me a total hip replacement. They kind of went in there, cleaned up uh, all the bone, you know, all the bone fragments and stuff and felt that they could send me home and get me into therapy. 
well, that they tried to do that and, you know, they did their best at that, but the bone was dead. So, you know, that's kind of how you receive your oxygen through, through your blood. Um, so over a four year span, I, I basically created a vascular necrosis, arthritis to the hip. I went from about 5% mobility that they felt would get to at least 75 or 80 to reversing back to 25 to 30. So somebody that was extremely competitive, uh, you know, basketball, running, just doing whatever I could do, um, which really was my drug. You know what I'm saying? That was my adrenaline yeah. and that kind of fed me moving forward was completely stripped away from me. Um, couldn't run, couldn't tie my shoe, couldn't put on my pants, um, serious depression. Um, plus all the medications that I was on over those four years were, were pretty, pretty radical. Um, and, uh, 97, I went to an orthopedic orthopedic surgeon that I'm actually friends till today. Um, his name was Mark Sinrich and Melinda, his wife. Uh, he basically told me, listen, man, you, you know, you got extensive calcium buildup, your bones dead. Um, we need to go in there and give you a full hip replacement. If you ever want to tie your shoes and put on your pants again, wow. I was like, okay, great. You know? So, uh, it was a pretty, it was an extensive still talked about operation till today. Uh, that he actually shares with a lot of his friends and people that we actually know in the space that have invested in the space. They actually tell me, yeah, Mark, Mark told me about, you know, your injuries. And uh, he saved my life in my mind, honestly, because I was, I was so down on myself. I uh, never thought about taking my life. It's never been my mentality at all, mm -hmm. but really who knows where I would have been, you know, if, if that surgery wouldn't gone in the direction it went. So, I mean, just kind of got my real estate mortgage license through those times. Cause there's really not a lot you know, I was able to do kind of built a business on that side. Um, and, uh, you know, I was able to build a company called American real estate. Then I went to Vesta home loans, Vesta real estate, uh, met my wife who's, uh, ran title at the time and we're married till today, 16 years later. So Very a lot cool. of things happened that this injury probably, you know, led me in a direction to where I'm at today. So I look at it as always as a positive thing, but, uh, in 2008, 2009, uh, the real estate market crashed pretty much 07 going to 08. Um, and a friend of mine asked me, you know, why don't we go to Colorado? They just made it medicinal. Let's get over there and figure it out. I was like, listen, I can't go. I mean, I got my wife, I got a kid that's about to be born. I'm not going to go in that direction, but I'll help finance a little bit of that. And let's figure out where it ends up. Um, we opened up hydroponic store called candy shop hydroponic, uh, and Boulder on 2740 Canyon. We opened up an 18,000 square foot grow a couple years later. Then we bought Canamart that we ended up calling it bud seller. Uh, and on 1450 South Santa Fe. So I was going back and forth uh, in the beginning. Um, I got kind of injured again, nothing too major, but I ended up going to one of these pain managements um, and they gave me basically anything and everything that I wanted or didn't want. So that kind of led me really into the direction of where I ended up. I actually ended up possibly managing a little bit of one of these locations, which was very bad uh, for myself uh, because it was, you know, being a diabetic, um, and, you know, owning a candy store. So that kind of really led me to where I've never been, God bless, never been addicted to anything my whole life. Basically, maybe competitiveness was probably my biggest addiction. But this really got me and, and, and really took a hold of me uh, in a really bad way. Um, saw a lot of people suffer through it. Um, and then kind of, I, I couldn't get out of it. But at that point, I was flying back and forth to Colorado. I was on probation. Um, because I had gotten arrested in 2000, in 2010. Um, and, uh, I needed to go see my probation officer every month, uh, and stuff, but I figured out a way to kind of get to Colorado. Um, every time I'd go to my probation officer, a couple of days later, I'd fly out to Colorado. Um, and, uh, we would trim bud and, uh, you know, by, you know, there's no tumblers at the time. So it was really about all hand trim. 
And uh, we started doing that. And my partner down there that's known me for many, many years kind of saw me on a big decline. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. the same, you know, I was either passing out, you know, just not in good shape. And uh, we had a MIPS and OPC license uh, actually downstairs from our grow before we took over their spot was Dixie Elixirs, uh, which people, a lot of people in the space know, um, or again, Keith Cola. So we, we kind of just went, you know, and, and he would hide my medications. Uh, and cause you're in a warehouse for 16, 17 hours, just trimming to make sure you get whatever you got to get. We were doing about 40 to 45 pounds. We need to get that weight to the medical facility, to the dispensary. Right. And, uh, he would give me an edible, which was like almost like a Chiba Chew. And, you know, I don't medicate on that side, but I love those Chiba Chews in small, that ten, five, 10 milligram, you know, doses. It just makes me, makes me feel the way I want to feel, you know, and I know what I'm eating. So he would feed me some stuff and I would just go six, seven hours. He'd hide my meds. We'd leave in a, in a rush. I'd get to the warehouse six, seven hours later. I haven't taken a pill. That doesn't, that didn't happen when I was in Florida. Um, but as soon as I got back to Florida, it was like automatically got, like it was just nothing had happened. And the biggest issue that I had and huge conflict that I had was I couldn't use that medication, that plant in Florida because I had, I would violate my probation. So I knew I had something that could help me get off these meds. Cause you know, my wife wasn't having it anymore. She was done with it and she kept on pushing me to get clean. And I, I just wasn't hearing it. Uh, but when I was in Colorado, it was a different, different thing. I wouldn't eat as much. I'd come back with, almost everything that I took. And that really showed me that this, there's something in this plant that I really need to kind of look into a little more. Um, and it really didn't start until probably the end of 2011, 2012. Um, my partner now, um, was my pharmacist. Um, and, uh, you know, Laura kind of saw me also in that decline. She had known me for a long time. I had built some businesses. I was healthy. I could walk, tie my shoe. There was no reason for me to be in this state of mind. But those meds and that synthetic and those opiates really had a huge control over myself. Um, but, you know, I started realizing some things, started having conversations with her. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what led us to where we're at today. Uh, she started a company. She didn't even have faith in me uh, when we started the company. Basically, she owned it completely because um, I ended up going to jail and violating probation. And uh, we created she created the company July 29, 2013. I violated probation August 8, 2013. Wow. With jail, 2000, uh, September 4, 2013. She didn't know where I was even at uh, for a two-week span. Now, we're talking every day for, for about a year. All of a sudden, poof, I disappeared. Um, so over after two weeks, uh, you know, I'm in Broward County. Uh, I tell my wife, listen, I, I got to talk to Laura. She's, you know, she's yeah. like, babe, she doesn't stop calling. So, uh, you know, it led to me having a conversation with her. Uh, and, uh, I had the conversation and obviously I'm surprised that she stayed, I, you know, she took a big leap of faith on that side, just because she has a license. She had something to lose. I really didn't have anything to lose. Everybody's telling her if she's touching this, she's going to go to jail. She's going to lose her license and stuff. Um, so I told her, I said, once I get out, I said, I won't look back. And, uh, we haven't looked back since then. So, uh, you know, I spent about six weeks in jail. Uh, the pictures are not pretty. Uh, those mug, mug shots and, and, you know, dressed in orange really doesn't do any justice. I think it's definitely not my color. Uh, so, so <laughs> it kind of, like, on you, man. yeah. <laughs> so it kind of, you know, that's kind of how we built it. And that foundation of who we are today, green roads and kind of the vision of what we've stuck to what we said we're going to do is kind of how we built the company. That's incredible. So 
so um Laura obviously plays a, a huge role in in Green Roads and kind of the you know the foundation of all of this in your eyes what does it mean to be a pharmacist founded company in what still kind of seems to be a little bit of like a wild west industry and how does that give you and the entire team and family of Green Roads a leg up on what I like to call the bad actors in this space and what does that also mean for the consumers looking to educate themselves kind of like how you were trying to, you know, educate yourself about why this was working. Why was I feeling so much better? Um, and kind of, you know, the best way to use the plant as a healing tool and almost like an unlocking tool, if you will. I know that was a loaded question. So, I mean, it's definitely loaded, but great point. I mean, for us being a pharmacist formulated product sometimes brings its own stigma just because what we represent is an all alternative, you know, a plant-based, a wellness product. Um, so having a pharmacist in the front of that People didn't understand well, why we bring in pharmacists or pharmacy. We're not bringing pharma into this. We're bringing somebody that has over 20 plus years of compounding experience into an industry that has bad actors. You have some really good ones, but you have some bad ones. And then we're not just making a product with olive oil or, you know, just hemp oil. We compound our products. And that's the beauty of what we do as a company. You know, she's been compounding now for nine years in this space. Um, and that is extremely important because you're now you're adding other supplements into this, into this ingredient, into this nutrition, into this plant. And that's big because yes, yeah, CBD has great benefits, you know, different cannabinoids have great benefits, but when you start adding it with, you know, sunflower oil and just different materials and different natural extractions or natural products, you're really adding that future wellness product to, to this, to this industry. You know, when we started, it was $45,000 a kilo. Today, we pay three fifty dollars to 400 you know? So everybody just thinks that they're just going to get into the space and do things. So you got to kind of differentiate yourself from who you are, still stick to your true values and your why, but really create a finished good product that the consumer is going to be able to enjoy. As this industry continues to grow, people will be taking this as a vitamin in the morning. So buy your Centrum with CBD in it. That will be something in the future. And I could promise you that because there's other countries looking to do that. And the more research and education that comes out where we see these types of cannabinoids and what their functions and what the reaction is as a whole to a human being, um, finding that homeostasis, finding something that's going to make your, your immune system strong, your neurological system better. We have these, you know, cannabinoids, uh, nutrition's in our body. So if you start decreasing in that nutrition, how do you fill that up? Black pepper yeah, it has CBD, great. But why not go to a plant that offers you all different types of cannabinoids to help the body really move forward and function in the best way? So that having that pharmacist is really important, you know, for compounding and, and just finish good products. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I love I love where you guys are going with this, too, where it's not just going to be something that, you know, you take every now and then. Oh, I feel like I got a headache. I want to I, I might need some CBD or like I can't sleep at night. I think I'm going to take some CBD. No, this is going to be something that, like you said, now everybody's, you know, taking their centrum in the morning. Well, now there's going to be that, that multivitamin type, type of approach um, to CBD and a lot of the other compounds that are coming from the plant. So I love where you guys are going with that. And I definitely see the future um, of a plethora of different compounds from the plant going in that direction. Um, Arby, with everything that you guys have done, it seems like there is there was and there still is today a lot of like care and nurture and a lot of just 
innovation that really comes from the core of what started Green Roads. With that said, how on earth do you guys scale a company <laughs> so quickly, so, so successfully and be able to do it, especially with something like hemp and CBD, because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of different moving pieces. Um, and I, you and I, you know, just right before we, we started recording, I mean, you got an update about, you know, some, some updates that are going on in, in the industry as well. So man, things are always changing. So how do you actually scale a company like this from, from like the business side of things? Like how, where do you even start with that? You stay in tune to your vision. Um, you, you have to pick that lane because there's a bunch of different lanes we could have gone in. Um, there was a bunch of different possible opportunities and invest, investors or products or different avenues that we could have gone. We never went to Kratom. You know, today, get best example, we're, we don't touch Delta 8, you know, and Delta 8 is a loophole. It is legal uh, it, because it has a loophole. But as a company and our foundation and our vision to what we feel is the right thing that we're trying to do for the consumer. And financially, it's not the best decision for us. And we've made a couple of these decisions where financially, it's really not the right decision for our company. But we've seen all these other things kind of wean out out of the industry, you know, because the regulations come in or the DEA comes in or something happens where, you know, we invest a certain amount of money into the space and we just don't spend a couple of dollars. Now it's marketing, it's packaging. You need to follow regulations, rules. Every individual state, some of them are different. So the labeling requirements might be off. So it's really about sticking to what your true values are as, as a company. Um, and reference to fast, I love you say that because for me, not so fast. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've been going at this since 2013, really 2012. But for, for us, it's, it hasn't been, it's been painful. I think there's probably one challenge in this space that you can't say that we haven't faced. And I think just like anything in life, the more the, you know, you take a lot of blows, but every blow is going to teach you how to get through the next blow and the mm -hmm. next one. And the relationships that we've created in this space where companies trust us, whether it's insurance. I mean, we offer 401k. We have insurance plans in our business. You know, those are things that would never been possible a couple of years ago. You know, you know, banking, we've lost seven or eight banks. We went through probably seven or eight merchants, you know, and these people are all holding your money, telling you they're going to hold it for 270 days or 180 days for chargeback. So we've been through so much. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people in this space uh, have also been through that. But I think one of the things that Green Roads has offered is that we've shown the way to a lot of other companies of how to get there. And we're proud of it. Sometimes we wish uh, it wouldn't be so public, you know, for people to kind of follow it because we've been, we're the ones laying on that samurai sword, you know, or, you know, and it's painful because it's financially painful, man hours, education going and traveling, going to Tallahassee, going to Washington, D.C., all the things that wrap around trying to be a leader in this space and help open up the space for everyone is the responsibility that we were willing to take. And there's others that have done it. We, we've met with a lot of great companies that are in our space, too. And one of the people that we spoke to when you're before we went live was somebody that's been a real champion in the space also. But we've had some really good people and we've had some really bad ones. And I think as anything else, it's like, you know, that old Indian saying is like, which one's going to win? It's the one you feed the most, you know? And I think that all we're trying to do is continue to feed that good side because we're trying to do all the right things. 
And uh, as a company, it's extremely important. And we've grown uh, drastically. Obviously, 2020 was a big blow to the space uh, and to almost guidance and legislating and just kind of moving the space forward. But as anything else, I, you know, I said this morning, I was in another podcast with, you know, with some, uh, with the guy and I told him I'm extremely bullish in this place. I really am. I think, uh, I think at the end, as anything else, you feed the good and the good will win. And I think we will create an avenue for many people to win. I think the people that have the right mindset and have a why and don't look at this as like money, because I can tell you right now, the people that kind of go into that mentality that this is about money, I've seen them nine and a half out of 10 fail. And the other half are about to fail. So if you have your why and your purpose and your vision and what you're trying to do, there's nothing else in the space that's going to divert that vision and that excitement of what you want to do. You need to be excited to get up and do stuff. You need to, you need to know that you're going to fail. You're going to need, I can tell you, you're going to fail a lot. You're going to, you're going to know that there's doors that are going to close. You, you know, we, we went with Microsoft D365. We're the first people in this space that has Microsoft D365. You know, and that was because Oracle, not really because they said no, we had both of them involved in the conversation for our platform, you know, and one of them was a little hesitant. The other one was like, let's go. So you pick the one that says, let's go, right. you know, and, and that's kind of the way we went. We have big commerce, we have Salesforce, we have big corporate decisions that we've had to make. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we've ever had to go through as a company, because in, as an entrepreneur, I want to move, you know, I want to be able to pop from sneakers to flip flops back to sneakers to dress shoes and do whatever I need to do to kind of get to that, to that as we're problem solvers. And thank God that we're built that way. And the partners were built that way because we had a lot of problems and we love solving them. And all that's done is educated. So people might say fast, I would say, depending on who you're asking. (laughs) I, I love that answer. And it's, it's, it, that was really insightful too, because the first thing that you said, you said a lot right there, and that was re- that was really good. But the first thing that you said really stood out to me, and it was, you kind of just stay in your lane and you reject things that don't really align with your vision. And I think I see we we see a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of companies that are that are emerging in this space, and the ones that have fallen off, they kind of try to be a jack of all trades, right? They try to be the Swiss Army knife of everything. And it seems to me like those are the ones, like you said, that they have a tough time scaling. They have a tough time moving forward because you, you at some point you have to say no to certain things for people to, to look at you and say, that's my guy. That's my gal. That's the brand that I want to go with. Um, and there was a great quote. You can't be all things to all people. Otherwise, you're going to be worth nothing to, to everyone. And so with that said, do you think having that that really narrow focus and that real clear line in the sand on what your vision for your future vision of success is, is that what also allows you to develop the SOPs that you need, develop the relationships, develop the partnerships and kind of say, okay, we got that done onto the next, onto the next, onto the next. Um, because otherwise I feel like you would just keep getting, you know, hung up. Oh, we gotta, we get, we gotta try to expand here. Oh, we're trying to do this. We're trying to do this, and you're going left, right, left, right. But you're never actually gonna like rocket ship forward. So, how does what like what does all of that translate to when you're trying to think about like SOPs, partnerships? Like, do, do all of those things just move so much faster when you kind of put your blinders on and say this is what we're focused on and this is the main mission? Absolutely. I mean, horse blinders are extremely important in this space because everybody's offering you the world and offering you different things. And 
it's not always it's a it's a it's not always a faster decision because you have you have them on. It's 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 that you know that that's the direction that you want to go. Are you getting are you getting teased a little bit? As yeah, of course. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. You you feel that you could add more things to it. But if you're disciplined enough to to understand that that's not what I want to do. I mean, we've pulled things out of our business plan. I mean, we you know again, 2019. You know, Isolate was 7,500, 8,000. You know, some 10,000. And you know, you're thinking extraction because you want to own the whole chain. You know, we have QR codes in our in our in our product. We could do blockchain from seed all the way to sell. Where you know, we're, we passed the rules here in Florida. Where you know, we want to say fresh from Florida. Well, I could go and get you know, you know, build this. You know, for the farmer, have a seed all the way down to finish good product, and then you you realize that the market crashed to twelve hundred dollars. You know, now it's probably a third of that. So you got to know when to pull things out where, you know, even it's in your plan, you've concentrated, you spent man hours doing what you think is going to be the right thing. You got to have the courage to say, this is not what I want. And this is not going to help the company because it's not going to be first profitable or possibly it could really hurt us and other avenues that we're looking to build more on and spend more money on. So that brought us to 2020 where, you know, we didn't grow financially. You know, what we did in 2019 was amazing. 2020 has been difficult, but we, what we did is we knew what we needed to do to get through the year. And we know what we need to do to get through to 2021. Um, and, and we've implemented that sometimes painfully, but, but we did it. But what we did do is we had an, ex- an explosion of internal uh, equity which was building all the SOPs, building our EDI system, building our software that's going to give us a future to who our true consumer is at the end. Who's going to buy that product? Well, the, the software is going to tell me. It's a mom in suburbs, you know, that lives at this zip code or this area code, and this is who we want to target. So now we're not throwing darts at a wall. We're really concentrating on who that consumer is so we can actually be smart on how we're spending our advertising dollars. So we might not have grown financially, but internally in reference to our functions on a daily basis, it's been a huge growth. I mean, Salesforce has been huge for us. Um, everybody's sitting at home, but we could kind of see everything. We could still target. We know what that, that system and software is gonna bring us. And that's been huge for us. That was another thing that we went through a challenge. I'm not used to in that type of integration. Um, and it's a slow process and a very painful one. So, but now we're about nine months in and we see the difference. I see the possibilities. Your RMAs are down, your EDI picking packs in place. So like we just landed Publix a month and a half ago. We don't have to have a salesperson calling that individual manager and saying, hey, you're low on this or what do you need? You need another order to go in? Oh, no. Automatically, our software tells us where we're at. And that is huge in the space of an emerging industry with still no regulations, still no true guidance. But when those things do come in, we hit a switch and we're, we know pretty much everything that we need to know that will help guide the business forward. That's, that's great advice. And I, I think what you just said too, where sometimes even if you don't see that financial growth over a period of nine months, 12 months, but internally you see it, you feel it, you see it all coming together and you know, man, in six months from now, when we just flip that on switch, all of this is going to make up for that little, that little accumulation of that building period where we just had to, you know, cut our teeth and really dial in and fine tune what we're doing on the inside. And the rest will just kind of take care of itself. So I love, I love that. That's, that's great advice. Um, 
With Green Roads headquartered in Florida, could you share with us what the Florida cannabis scene is kind of like now and how it's sort of developed over the last couple of years and where you see it heading in the next year or so? That's a space that I'm very bullish in. Uh, to say that I'm not looking at it after being in this space for 12 years, I'd be lying. Um, I think there's amazing opportunities in the future in this space. I think Florida is really um, moving forward. And some people might not say in a faster pace, but you know how this industry is. Oh, it should be just decriminalized and we should do this. And, we, and I agree. Don't get me wrong. But you still need a process of regulations in place because sure. you have children out there that you know, that you, as a parent myself, that I want to be able, you know, and I talk to my kids about it because I want them to be educated. I don't want it to be taboo. Uh, so I think Florida is moving along nicely, is what I would say. The hemp side, we've learned so much by other states' mistakes that I, I think we're, we're definitely, you know, and thanks to Nikki Freed, the highest ranking, our ad commissioner, highest ranking uh, Democrat in the state, you know, she's done an amazing job with Holly Bell on how this industry is going to emerge on the CBD and hemp side. So getting off of that, I think the state is very educated. Um, and I think obviously DeSantis, uh, our governor, has done an amazing thing on when he first got into office, kind of putting pressure on the DOH, allowing these dispensaries to truly grow. Um, I think True Leaf's up to like 71 plus or 70 plus dispensaries. Cure Leaf is right there. All these other MMTCs um, are really blowing up. Do I think that we need an open market? Of course, uh, you know, I, I would say that I wouldn't, you know, I, I would be dumb not to say something like that. But at least they understand that this market is growing quick enough. And I think within two years, you're going to see a big change. I believe that Florida will be wrecked in two years. First of all, you have a republic, you know, a Republican governor who's done an amazing job in my eyes. Um, you have a pretty strong side, let's say Nikki Freed. Let's just use her as an example. And I think she might even announce that she's running in 2022. So you have somebody that used to be a lobbyist for the cannabis industry um, now as our ad commissioner, possibly wants to run against our governor. So he's going to have to take this space and, and welcome it. And our state is pretty red on the House and Senate side. And I think they've already started to understand that he will lose an election if, he's, if he doesn't have some kind of plan for a cannabis recreational state, uh, plus financially beneficially for taxes is going to be huge for jobs, opportunities. Um, our alcohol consumption will probably go down a little bit unless you go to South Beach. But the fact is, is that you still have this opportunity for this industry truly to grow on the manufacturing, on the edibles, on caviar growing. You know, these MMTCs don't, they have some good strains, but, you know, you still have your, you know, your, your wine connoisseur that wants that $450, $500 ounce. You know, they, they're, they're okay with 200 or they might say, no, that looks like hemp to me. It might be good bud, but they're not going to smoke it. You know, it's like, it's like, you're not going to give, a, you know, an Irish man a bad whiskey. So it's kind of that, that kind of mentality where I think that small boutique kind of facilities are going to function in the state. So we probably got five years before this industry is completely open. I know New York's got their, their stuff online now. They're, they're presenting a bill. New Jersey's kind of opening up. New Jersey's always a mess, but still, at least they have it. Um, Oklahoma's blowing up um, with opportunities, you know, in that state, South Dakota that we lobbied for. So think about it this way. We lobbied for CBD to be legal in 2018. Uh, and we went there and helped lobbied and, and stuff like that through a, a gentleman named Leonard who owns Hemporium. And they were giving us all kinds of headaches and, oh, you can't have anything that has THC. So we could only sell products in there that were isolate based. 
Now they just opened up Breck and Medical. I mean, who would have freaking thunk that, you know? So yeah. where the space is going so rapidly, um, they're going to figure out how to tax it. They're going to figure out how they're going to make money. And this is the way it is in this, you know, in this world. Um, that's probably been some of the hurdles is that the government needs to figure out how they're going to make money. And as soon as they figure out how they're going to make money, they're going to make the money like they do on alcohol, like they do on cigarettes. And it's going to be another huge income for the country. And it's going to create jobs and it's going to create opportunities and insulary products and just a, an array of opportunities for attorneys, for accountants. You know, you still have the problem with 280E. You know, there's you can't really have deductions in this space. So there's going to be so many different opportunities and insulary businesses that would grow from this space that they're not going to be able to deny it for much longer. And I'll leave you with this. When I started in this space, 2008, I think there were seven states, seven states. Today, you're, I think, past 40, you know, maybe even more than that. So that just shows you in a 12-year span from 96, Cali, to Colorado, few, from that, from that back then to now, almost the whole union. So they can't deny this any longer. They're just need to figure out how they're going to tax it. Um, and once that comes through, I think, uh, you know, you got a lot of social equity. Um, you got a lot of things that went bad that we need to make good in this space by being, you know, people being incarcerated. Um, and I really think that they need to understand that this business is built just like the alcohol business is built by, by, you know, moonshine runners. This business has been built by people that were in this space for many, many, many years. Um, and these are the people that should continue to lead this opportunity in this space. Cause without them, you don't have strains and without strains, you ain't got sales. So, um, I, I think it's uh, very bullish on both sides, honestly. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting. It's going to be an exciting year for sure, to say the least. Um, Arby, I got to wrap up with this one last question, man. What is your favorite Green Roads product? And uh, it varies. Uh, I love these. Literally, they're right next to me. So it's I love the Bears. Um, they obviously we just upgraded the packaging to uh, to uh, OTC. So that's one of the proud moments that we've had. We've gone we're CGMP. And OTC, we create every single one of our products, uh, except for three products. And these are one of them. This right here is probably one of my favorites. Um, and then I love our relaxed capsules with 5-HTP. So that's another supplement additive that mm -hmm. we've added to that product. And uh, we got a lot of exciting ones that are coming up that I use uh, right now that I won't mention just yet, but uh, you'll see them very, very soon. So my relaxed cap, my sleep caps, I love them. Um, obviously the bears, you know, I, I love them. And, uh, we have a lot of new, uh, innovative products that, uh, you'll be like, Hmm, all right. I should have thought of that one. So uh, yeah, man, we're, we're excited. That's awesome, man. I, I can tell you got something good up your sleeve too. Cause you just had a smirk on your face when you, uh, <laughs> when you said you guys have some new, new stuff coming yeah, out. So I'm excited. Really I'm going to keep a close talk. eye. <laughs> really? We launched 30, I think 26 products through 2020. Um, we've upgraded all the packaging. We just hit our 30,000 five-star reviews uh, about two weeks ago. So if you look on our page, we're having a 30, 30, 30, you know, thanking all these, you know, these 30,000 five-star customers. Plus we had to clean out that system at one point because you need, you couldn't have anything on your website that said, you know, help me with this or cure, clear cancer, or my pain, because the FDA would write you a letter. So we literally had the funnel through a lot of five-star reviews uh, because of that. And it took us about a month and a half to do that. Wow. But yeah, I mean, that's not including our four stars. And obviously I'm not too happy about the threes, 
but hey, they gave us a somewhere in the middle kind of thing. But but I'm happy with our 4.84 uh, on Google and a lot of these other places that you know our products. So that's a, that's a hats off to our our team, to our formulators, and to basically Green Roads for doing what we do, man. We, we have a great team, uh, and we're hopefully going to be uh, innovating uh, for the for the very long future of this space. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. And, and hats off to the team. Hats off to you. You guys clearly are not snoozing uh, by noon. You guys are obviously working hard and uh, and staying on your toes. So thank you for that. Uh, RB, I just want to take a moment and thank you for coming on the show. You obviously, you know, have a lot going on. You're building an incredible thing for for the entire cannabis community as a whole. So thank you. And thank you for being so willing to to share your journey, the Green Roads journey, and also even some insight into into some golden nuggets that, you know, myself, the listeners and, and other entrepreneurs in this space, they can, you know, kind of take and implement into their businesses and their journeys as they move forward. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on, man. We'll catch up uh, in the second quarter of 2021 after we get those new ones out. That's all right. That's all I wanted to hear. All right, guys, that is it for this episode of the Major Journey Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. Is a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.